I'm just your working boy. I'm up by eight. I might stay late, but I get paid. Hey, welcome to the Lord of Work, the Three of Pentacles or Discs. Actually, it's work or, I believe, material works. Yep. Uh, I read something that said that in her correspondence, Lady Frida also referred to it as works, plural. Yeah, there's kind of a bit of a discrepancy. The card in the Thoth deck does say works, and she had it in her notes as works, but in the Book of Thoth, it's consistently referred to as work. So there's a little bit of a difference in meaning for the words, but they both do apply. They both do apply. When I see works, it almost sort of like puts an emphasis to me on the product. like Rather than the verb. <laughs> work or the concept, the abstract concept of work. Yeah. Works is kind of better because it implies creation and there, there's a theme of creation here. What's that definition of uh, to do work or create change, something like that. And I think that that's very much implied in this card. We talked in previous cards about the relationship of all of the disc or pentacle cards to the story of the world or Saturn, that bridging of the material and the divine, the journey of the daughter to ascend to become the mother again, that adventure. And in these three cards of Capricorn, we've been dealing exclusively with the material world. The idea that in Capricorn, you are surrounded as much as possible as we see in any suit or any cards uh, with the material, and that in the Taurus cards, we build a bridge between the material and the divine, the bridge between worlds or the Pontifex. And, uh, and then in Virgo, we leave the world behind and sink into the light or die into the light or ascend, depending on what metaphor you prefer. But in these two, three, and four of Discs or Pentacles, we're dealing with the Capricorn cards, the engines of industry in the two, the sort of game of uh, luck and skill. And then in this one, we concentrate on building and producing. And then in the four, we're going to be ruling and amassing treasure. So this kind of progression from Saturn to Mars to the sun. Very male, this progression, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Weird. I mean, I guess Saturn is sort of an exception to that in a way. Yeah, Saturn can go either way. I <laughs> but yeah, it's really interesting to think about the materialism and ambition of Capricorn, because I think this card expresses it best of all of them. Yeah, definitely. And isn't that weird? I mean, it's a Mars card, and Mars were we're accustomed to kind of breaking things and smashing things. <laughs> yeah, but it's also represents drive. And in Capricorn, you know, the drive is ambitious. I think also that in his most constructive form, we look to Mars as being literally constructive, literally productive, literally giving us the energy to do what needs to be done. Yeah, to pursue your desire, whatever it may be. Yeah. And I think the important thing about this particular Mars is that he's exalted in the sign of Capricorn. Yep. If he's going to be in good shape at all, <laughs> this is the card. Yeah, he's actually, he's exalted in Capricorn. You know, it's really expressed here. The degree of exaltation is in the next card, the four of discs, is because it's 28 degrees is the exaltation degree of Mars, but because this is the Mars card of the Capricorn series, it really 
more expresses here. Yeah, absolutely. I think we see the same thing in the Saturn exaltation in Libra card, the Three of Swords, and the, the exaltation yeah. degrees 21, but yep. it expresses, you know, in 10 to 20 degrees. And I think that, like, in traditional astrology generally, all the traditional astrologers I know use exaltation throughout the sign, despite oh, yeah, the degree. Totally. Yeah, so that's something to look for with with this particular Mars. One of the things about Mars that is consistent in his lore is that there is this ability to be the driver of work. And in the Orphic hymn to Mars, there's this one line that goes, Alaxas alkane hoplon es erga tadeus. And that means exchange the the pain of arms for the literally the works of Demeter. The works of God, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And Deus, yeah, it's weird because we're accustomed to that term, ergata Deus. That sounds like the works of God, but Deus is actually a genitive form of Demeter, um, one of the names of Demeter. Uh, in Greek. So, so he's, it's like turn from the work yeah. of war to the work of production and peace and harvest and plenty. And love. Yeah. 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 Which is really interesting. In his other cards, and he has more cards, minor cards than anybody because he starts and begins the cycle, right? I'll just run through them quickly. We have Mars and Aries dominion in the two of wands. Uh, Mars in Gemini, everybody's favorite, cruelty in the Nine of Swords. Uh, Mars in Leo, Valor in the Seven of Wands. Mars in Scorpio, Disappointment in the Five of Cups. Uh, Mars in, and then here we are, Mars in Capricorn, Work, and Mars in Pisces, Satiety in the Ten of Cups. So we really see the full span of Mars, him as a warrior, as rapacious, as courageous, as the taker away of pleasure, as the producer of work, and as uh, insatiable sex god, too, I guess, in the Ten of Cups. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if I had to choose, whenever I get a Mars card on a Tuesday, I'm, I always have a sigh of relief if it happens to be this one. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the best. Let's see, the, the time of year... Of course, those the endpoints on the cusp of decans and signs are always a bit negotiable, but this one includes the start of the year, the new year. So we think of it as a time of literally, you know, nose to the grindstone, making your resolutions, making your commitments and sticking to them. That kind of commitment to me is really associated with the contracts of the devil in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, that's such a Saturnian thing. Generally, the uh, yeah, committing yourself is a, definitely a Saturn concept. Yeah, we see it in the Three of Swords, the signing of contracts, and uh, and you know what? I was thinking like Faustian bargains when you mm. read those tales of you know trading your soul to the devil or signing on the dotted line. That really makes me think of this card in a way. The works that you engage. A spirit for because I can't think of where else it would yep. be. I think it's really wild the the major arcana that are associated with this card. Yeah, definitely. You know? Yeah, I mean, when you think of the tower and the devil, you expect that they would produce a really awful card. <laughs> right. You know, it's kind of like you know, with the ten of swords, you have the sun and the lovers, which seems like it's going to be just fine. But then you get the Ten of Swords, whereas here you have these really baleful-looking majors, and they, in fact, the two malefics, the lesser malefic Mars and the greater malefic Saturn. There's sort of an affinity between them in that way, though, not just because they're the two malefics, but, you know, one of the names of the tower as being the house of God or the house of the devil. Yeah. So you got the devil in his house, you know what I mean? Right. And, you know, in order to get a tower, you got to build it. <laughs> and this is the yep. card of building it. <laughs> yep. No matter what happens to it afterwards. And there's something to be said for, you know, Saturn as, you know, Bina, a three, there's the influence of Saturn. And then we have Mars, the tower. And we also have the influence of Saturn through the card of the devil, Saturn as ruler of Capricorn. So there's like a double Saturn influence. So that brings in both discipline and the forces of time. And then you've got the Mars drive. So applying 
discipline through time is how plans turn into works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There is such a mastery of the material world in these cards. And I think that kind of speaks to both the constructive drive of Mars, as you're saying, and the sort of Saturn's recognition of the stuff you got to work with in this material world, the limits of space and time. And when I look at the um, the titles for the devil and the tower, we've got the, the Lord of the Gates of Matter, and then we've got the Lord of the Hosts of the Mighty. So it's almost like these armies of Mars, the force of that is being applied to matter. You know, yeah, yeah. Moving these... through the gates. And, exactly. And... Oh, this is yeah. great. It's like the uh, the armies of Mordor marching through the gates of Barad-dur. <laughs> right, right. It's um, this incredible show of force and the ability of uh, humanity to create great works. Great works that, you know, ye mighty in despair. In the, you know, <laughs> because it's the suit of Earth and... and material world and also because it's a three you know be not associated with form all that discipline and drive is being used to construct something right so i guess the sort of nature of the card as a three high up on the tree uh with you know always the formative impulses of the three but also the exaltation combined to produce something that you know subjectively we find not just tolerable but important in our world I was thinking about that, the fact that we kind of went from Jupiter in Capricorn in the two of pentacles or disks, and we talked about that as kind of the combination of luck and skill, where you win because of chance or because of skill, but where either of those fails, you fall. And the sort of weakness and fluctuation of that card Whereas this one is much more pointed, right? There's that sort of sharp drive of Mars that isn't going to rest until the thing is complete. And I think that's the difference between Jupiter and Mars, but also the difference between a two and a three. There's a finality and completion that's that's implied by a three. So it's not totally complete till it gets to the four because we're still above the abyss. Right. But still, something's like, at this point, something has definitely been done. Something has been set into form to some degree where it's no longer just an idea. Yeah. Yeah. I always think of those top three sephirot, Keter, Chokma, Bina, as lights, camera, action. And we talked about, you know, the one as kind of the the seed or the impulse from which everything unfolds. And then the two as the presence of the other, the gaze that uh, allows you to perceive yourself, the, you know, consciousness perceiving itself and the different partners associated with it, transactions in the, in the suit of pentacles. And then the three, the number of action allows us to actually create things and produce works that you can touch. I was thinking about the nature of Bina the other day and how there's a concept in Kabbalah called Bina consciousness. We've talked a lot about how those upper supernals are basically just different forms of wisdom, understanding, knowledge, you know, they're all Mm -hmm. sort of aspects of mind or that's one way to describe them. And I've seen Bina consciousness described as the part of our mind that allows us to articulate things and describe physical things, describe the world around us, put a name and a description to things. Whereas there are certain things that can't be described in words. Like if you're talking about concepts of the infinite, or the beginning of time, that's a chokmah thing. <laughs> you know, Bina cannot deal with it. <laughs> so there are certain things that cannot be expressed in words that are can only be contained within the mind itself. And those are the things of chokmah. Those are the ideas of chokmah. Well, it's kind of interesting, though, that the um, the virtues and vices of Bina, the, the the virtue is silence. Yeah, I was just thinking Which then again brings in that. action, the idea of action in a, in a sense. And the vice is avarice, which right. seems kind of 
somewhat appropriate for the sign of Capricorn. It absolutely does, especially for Bina in Asia, the world of material things. And the, it really looks ahead to the four, doesn't it? <laughs> in a way. But yeah. Yeah. And the idea that the, the virtue being silence is the, uh, oh, I guess in German philosophy, they would call it the Ding an sich, the uh, idea of the thing itself standing on its own. Whereas, you know, the, the idea of avarice, the vice of avarice really um, implies that you're trying to hold on to, you know, you mistake the product for a virtue of its own and the amassing of that product as something to valorize and seek out. The virtue of Bina, it's interesting to think of silence and avarice. Bina, we think of that sphere as a container and with silence as a virtue, it's almost like the container provides a safe place to grow, but Bina is avarice, the container begins to limit and yeah. constrain what's growing in it. Right. And that makes sense for the idea of Saturn, that limitation and restriction. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's almost like in in the virtuous nature of the container, you have the um, the idea that it serves a function, a protective function. But then when in the in the vicious nature of the container, it's like the emphasis becomes on the container for its own worth and rather than its function. And that is a mistaken uh, view of the container. I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not quite getting it right. I do have a cold and my brain's not working, but you know what I mean. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. So here's here's another way of sort of conceptualizing the chakma versus bina thing that I read. You know how we talk about the pillar of chakma, the pillar of force, as the pillar of mercy. Sometimes, I I saw that conceptualized somewhere. I can't remember where. As chakma representing the concept of freedom which lies at the root of mercy that 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 idea of force is freedom and that yeah uh, there's more expansiveness yeah. there yeah whereas bina is more the concept of restraint which is which lies at the root of justice so there's this interesting um contrast of justice and mercy as equal but opposite forces and we think of saturn you know, as the enforcer of justice at some level, you know, when we yep. think about the, the Saturn, uh, especially in the Three of Swords. It's interesting to think that Saturn is both, it expresses itself in the rulership of Earth and Air, right? In the rulership of Capricorn and the rulership of Aquarius, right? Mm-hmm. So we have sort of expressions of Saturn both in space and time, expressions yeah. of Saturn uh, in you know, uh, intellectual limits, but also physical limits. So there's that notion of justice, but also the notion of architecture, of building around us. He's the keeper of the rules (laughs) and the keeper of the boundaries. (laughs) The giver of permits. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. In in the um in the uh um what do you call it? The online tarot course, I have an exercise where, you know, I get people to make up their own hermetic titles for <laughs> for oh, for different fun. cards. I love that giver of permits. I think I'm gonna call the devil that from now on. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, and also, you know, kind of interesting just to think for a second of the associated court card. This is the final decan of the Queen of Discs. So, you know, um, that brings in sort of the mother aspect of Saturn as well. Mm-hmm. The restrictive qualities that form. I kind of think of it as like a potter shaping a bowl, right? You know, something has to exert a, an inward pressure for something to be created. And I think that's, you know. Um, yeah, and this one, the clay is formed, and in the next one, it's baked or something. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> the bricks are baked in the sun or whatever. For sure. And I think that that's something that we really see in queens generally, that strength of the three, strength of Bina to uh, to give form, and in perhaps in the queen of discs or pentacles most of all. Oh, Deccan imagery. This is interesting. From the... Picatrix, we have a man with a common ape in front of him, which is 
you know, super chthonic and uh, terrestrial, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Agrippa has two women and a man looking toward a bird flying in the air. And those are very different kind of images, but the significations have a lot in common. Picatrix has seeking to do what cannot be done and to attain what cannot be, whereas Agrippa has requiring those things which cannot be done, searching after those things which cannot be known. So I think in both of those, we have this kind of, you know, here I am down below, trapped in earth, looking, <laughs> looking, aspiring to greater things, things which I cannot achieve. Reading um, those things made me think of a, a couple of things. So one is, I don't know if you know the uh, story of Enki. Sumerian oh, yeah, the god Sumerian Enki. god. Yeah. Who he is actually called, a form of Ea, which we talked about in the last one. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, um, you know, one of his titles is Lord of the Earth. And he was also sometimes conflated with the serpent in the Garden of Eden. But the story that this made me think of, the, uh, the, the man with a common ape in front of him, there are two stories. So first is Enki's story because he supposedly created the first humans and they were sort of not as advanced as humans, more ape-like, but -hmm. they were created out of clay. He made them out of clay and blood and implanted them into his sister's womb and she gave birth to them. And the whole idea was like he was supposedly making workers to mine gold from the earth or something. So, So there's this story that the first humans were created out of clay and blood and through Enki's intervention to create workers, which seems really appropriate for this card. And, the, and they were supposedly more primitive men. Yeah, born into servitude. Yeah, Knowledge, right? So that work right. and works and, and, and clay and building and creation, that's all in that story and the, the man with the common ape in front of him, right? That's fantastic. So then the other story that that made me think of, and uh, this one – has even more to do with that idea of seeking to do what cannot be done and attain what cannot be. That's the story of the Epic of Gilgamesh. So Gilgamesh befriends this this ape man, this wild man, Enkidu. So mm-hmm. there's this uh, ape man, Enkidu, who's kind of a wild man. He's more primitive. He gets tamed somehow <laughs> through the intervention of a prostitute, which is kind of funny. <laughs> But um, but anyway, Gilgamesh befriends Enkidu, and they have these adventures, and it's a long story, obviously, it's an epic, but <laughs> within it, Gilgamesh ends up refusing Ishtar or Inanna, who wants to bed him, and he refuses her because he tells her that she treats her lovers poorly, <laughs> and um, so she, of course, gets super pissed at him, woman scorned. Yeah, seriously, and bad idea. Send- sends the bull of heaven after him. Gilgamesh and Enkidu end up killing the bull of heaven. And, of course, she's super pissed, and <laughs> the gods decide that they have to be punished. One of them has to die. So they decide that it has to be Enkidu who has to die, and they send a disease to him, and it kills him, and he dies. And Gilgamesh then starts fearing death once his friend Enkidu dies, and his quest becomes to seek immortality. He goes through all these things seeking immortality, and guess what? He fails. So it's <laughs> that, like, seeking what cannot be done and to attain what cannot be. Absolutely. There's kind of that, that theme of that. That's as really well as- cool. And then there's another part of that story which made me think of the two women and a man looking... T- towards a bird flying in the air. So in that story, there's something about uh, Ishtar or Inanna mm-hmm. growing a tree, and she wants it to grow, and she's going to carve a throne out of it at some mm-hmm. point when it's fully grown. But then a bird, a serpent, and this being called Lilito or Lilitu, who's like kind of a Lilith figure, take up residence in this throne tree. I don't know. Gilgamesh at some point kills the serpent. The bird, you know, flies off and the Lilith figure takes off or whatever. But it just mm-hmm. made me think of that two women. So we've got Ishtar and, wow. and a Lilith. And then we've got a, a bird flying off in the air and a man looking at it. I don't know. It made me yeah, think of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. A kind of, little bit of a tie-in. Or even, you know, yeah. And the idea that the bird flying in the air is almost like a stand-in for that quest for immortality, you could say. Yeah. That's really so cool. So I thought that was really neat. Yeah, so definitely there's some parallels between those, the Enki story and the Enki Du and Gilgamesh stories that might be applicable to those 
Deccan significations and images. And then there's also the whole mm-hmm. idea, as far as, you know, reaching after things that cannot be done, there's the building the Tower of Babel myth, too. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, um, another reference that Austin mentions from the Yavana Jataka, where they have as the Deccan image an armored man constructing embankments, tanks, and aqueducts. I'm not sure about the tanks. (laughs) I think that must be a a, a phrase that doesn't mean what we think it means nowadays. But yeah, that that idea of great works that are created through, you know, you don't have to be armored to construct stuff, right? But I think that's like a reference to the martial qualities of determination Mm. and, you know, and persisting through difficulty. Another thing that's really interesting about that myth that you just related was that one thing I really noticed there was that sort of contrast of Mars and Venus images mm-hmm. going on, like Inanna and, you know, and sending the bull. It reminded me of the, you know, fact that Mars is always in detriment in the signs of Venus and it's the eternal battle of the sexes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know. And yet, supposedly, you know, planet-wise, isn't Venus the only planet that gets along with Mars, you know? It's interesting. Also, that aspirational quality in those myths makes me think of, you know, maybe that's a quality of exaltation, too, you know, to to strive for higher things. And maybe... Oh, definitely. You know, the idea that... But then that whole idea of, like, in order for it to work, you know, there's this seeking what cannot be done and to attain what cannot be, you know, but sometimes things work, sometimes they don't, in other words. And I think the, one of the key messages with this card is to beware the avarice and the shadow side of the devil, the arrogance, the ego. Yeah. And maintain like this purity of ambition. Yeah, that makes sense. The, the, the higher principle that drives or motivates you. I was thinking about exaltation actually in the, in the minors and how, in every exalted card, I mean, in every card where a planet is exalted because of the sign it's in, we have a quality of sort of looking forward, trying for something higher, like, you know, the sun in Aries and three of wands, you know, there's that quality of, of literal virtue of, of, you know, doing things for the greater good, the moon in Taurus, six of uh, discs or success, there's a altruism associated with that card. I don't know, it's just interesting to think about what exaltation might really mean, aside from being sort of weakly, weakly dignified. Yeah. I just remembered this too, like, there's supposedly a real figure in history that they think this more godlike Gilgamesh figure was based on, and uh, he was a king of Uruk, a city, Sumerian city, and the reason they, they there was some inscription that credited him with building the walls of Uruk. Oh, that's perfect. Which, that's yeah, perfect. right? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that, about walls generally, when we were talking about the green line of chaos in the two of pentacles, because, you know, walls are a very Capricornian Saturn thing. And I was thinking about in Judaism, there's the concept of the Eruv, or I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it, but which is a line that you draw around you know, a city or a province that designates it as your home. So you know how you can't do any work on the Sabbath, you can only sort of be in your home. So this line that you draw around a larger geographical area allows you to be, you know, it's a conceptual line that basically gives you a loophole. A wider, so yeah, wider you're in your home. There's literally yeah. one around the island of Manhattan, I think. <laughs> but yeah, that seemed to me like such a, a Saturnian concept, the idea of both physical and abstract walls within which we're safe to do what we need to do. Cardomantically, uh, this is a card that is mixed in aspect. Um, it can, interestingly enough, it's often associated with nobility or the aristocracy. We see that in the Atea definitions, magnificence, generous deeds, again, the idea of great works. Uh, but reversed, it can, um, it can refer to childishness or frivolity, feebleness, abjectness. 
So it's really just the opposite of the concept of nobility. In cardomancy, generally, we see the three of diamonds as, you know, it can be a card of wealth, but not persistent wealth. It's not the accumulation that we see in the higher numbered cards. It has to do with repeated efforts and restricted growth. So again, that sort of speaks to the amount of industry and discipline that have to be applied. In yeah, this card, the idea of en- endurance and constructive energy, application of constructive energy. The other thing that I meant to say during the Kabbalah stuff, which I forgot to, is, you know, again, that idea of the three as Saturnian, profoundly Saturnian, and as each of the threes in the tarot as kind of being forms of of binding of things together. I was thinking about how like, you know, mm-hmm. the three of wands, the the card of virtue binds a ruler to their subjects that kind of like the guest host contract, but more the subject ruler contract where you must, you have a duty to provide and care for the people. Uh, the uh, The three of cups is the binding of people together, how emotional affect binds people together. And then the three of uh, swords, we've talked in the past about the contracts between people, the intellectual pinpointing or pinning down of the rules in a relationship, and sometimes the the <laughs> pain that goes with that. And then in this one, we have, of course, the literal binding of physical things together in the Lord of Work, the cement between the bricks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even, even a house of wood has to be... One thing has to be attached to the next. Exactly. That's really cool. I mean, the idea, I was just thinking ahead to the Hierophant where we're going to be talking about nails a lot. (laughs) Right. You know, and the Taurus cards of how things are put together. But here we have the material which must be bound. Um, Okay, so shall we go on to the Rider-Waite-Smith card? Start the card by card? Yeah, why not? All right. So this is... You know, I always thought this was a really boring looking card. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's nice to get it just because you kind of want something sort of neutral to give you a break from all the sort of cartoonish, uh, over the top imagery of the Waitsmith Smith deck. But I think that there's a little bit more going on than appears at first glance, like mm-hmm. is, is the case with so many of these cards. Let's see. So we've got three figures here who are building a cathedral. They're in the planning stages together. Uh, we see the artisan, we see the cleric, and I think that guy in the, like, joker zoot suit thing <laughs> there is supposed to be a noble or aristocrat. I kind of saw it as a female figure, but who knows? Oh, really? Okay, could be. Why not? I don't know. I thought it was a man and a woman, the, the cleric being a man and the person in that cool-looking pointy-hooded cape as being female, but I don't, don't you want one of those? <laughs> I know, isn't it looking cool? <laughs> yeah. Should be in my Halloween costume. Exactly. <laughs> so we see here a analog for collaboration. Um, the idea that three must work together in order to produce a thing. And I think it's kind of interesting that the two who are standing on the ground there have the blueprint, right? They are the ones, it's sort of like the supernals where things are kind of um, conceptual, but not real. And it's the artisan, the third person who has to make it real, the workman. And he's kind of on the Bina side of the card, the left side of the card. It almost um, brings the devil card in, you know, three figures. Yeah. And the, and the blueprint is like the chains, <laughs> you know, the right. thing that makes, forces you to stick and to the plan. <laughs> so I see the, um, the artisan, he's wearing an apron, which, you know, indicates that he's a mason of some sort. And then what's in his hand? Is that a burin or what is that? Well, you know, I was thinking about that and the, I, I don't know what a burin is. What is a burin? It's like a, a burnisher, like a thing that, Oh. A device that like can be used to uh, in printmaking, and it made me think of it because there's the blueprint in the two figures' hands. In printmaking, it's this like flat, roundish thing that you burnish the print with to get a good impression. 
Oh, that's cool. That's um, that's not something I had thought of. I had thought it, that it might be like a, you know, a carving mallet, one of those. That makes more sense if he's a stonemason. It makes mason. more sense in a sense, you know, the idea that you need a, a carving mallet doesn't look like a hammer, but it is basically, it's kind of got this broad, wide base with that tapers and then it has a handle and the idea is that you have a little bit more control over the force that you're exerting on the chisel. Mm. So I, I've always sort of seen him as having a chisel in his left and a hammer in his right, uh, you know, some that kind would of make sense. Mallet. Being it that he definitely is some sort of mason. You know, maybe Pixie didn't know a lot of people who did stonework, so she just drew something that looked cool. But it's also kind of disc-like. Anyway, um, I, I looked up hammer in the dictionary of symbols, because what else are you going to do? <laughs> but uh, in Masonic symbolism, here's a cool quote, the hammer is the symbol of the active and persistent powers of the intellect, directing the thoughts and animating the meditation of the man who searches for the truth in the silence of his own conscience. So mm. there is a whole lot of possible connections there, the work being done in silence in the silence of Bina, sort of transferring the idea from consciousness to action in the act of the hammering. It's and also feel- curious that that figure is standing on the bench. Like yeah. he's kind of elevated a little above the other two. You know, I think uh, Wade talks about that as the elevation of work, but isn't the bench also a really important Masonic symbol? Yeah, I believe so. I'm pretty sure I didn't it is. bother to look it up, though. <laughs> I didn't either, but I'm sure it is. And there is actually a pretty strong connection between this card and the other super Masonic card, the Eight of Discs or Pentacles. Oh, yeah. Isn't he working on a bench there, too? He's hmm. sitting on a bench and he's like, you know, working on it and hammering his, his pentacles out there. Yeah. So Waits has a sculptor at his work in a monastery, and he says, compare the design which illustrates the Eight of Pentacles. The apprentice or amateur therein has received his reward and is now at work in earnest. So Wade sees it as sort of a graduation from the eight to the three, sort of going up the pillar of form that way. Cats and Goodwin in Secrets of the Wade Smith, they, they see it in the opposite way. The idea that, you know, the guy here is in the Three of Pentacles is just starting his trade and that he becomes an, a full artisan in the Eight. But really, you can see it either way. Yeah, it's- it could go either way. I kind of see it the first way that the guy in the Eight is like the apprentice learning his craft. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could go either way. Which way are you going? Because in that one, he's going? just making pentacles. In this one, he's building a whole building, you know, a big, giant, long-term project. It's, I guess, a question of whether you're going up or down the tree in a way, Yeah, you know, and either has its um, virtues, I guess, if you're in the, in the upward direction that, that sets you towards looking for the spiritual and the divine in all your works, whereas, you know, in the downward path, you're looking to invest the works themselves with spirit. Yeah. yeah. And there's like definitely in, in this card, the imagery definitely suggests an upward quality, both the fact that what they're building is a monastery, clearly. There's even that upward-facing triangle, as a, or several of them, actually. One after there's another, one, really. Yeah, there's one facing down, but most of them are all pointing up. There's a lot of, you know, upward symbolism. Yeah, you have those three pentacles right up there in the arch, which are look exactly like you would see the three supernal sephirot in the Tree of Life. And in general, you know, a cathedral is a seat of power. It is usually the seat of the highest official of the church in in an area, you know, an archbishop. And it's a literal way of representing spiritual power in an earthly form, um, using the bricks and mortar themselves to to point to the worship of of the highest. We see more pointing to that in the interplay not just of elements of three, but elements of four and five in this card. We've got the um, those three pentacles, five-pointed, and there's three of them. That's 15. That's the number of the devil card, which is kind of oh, yeah. interesting. Cool. We've got this quartered cross in the center, the quartered cross of Earth, which kind of makes me think, you know, we're going to see in the Thoth card that pyramid symbolism, and that's also a, a three and four, you know, reference where a pyramid, it looks like it has three sides, but then it's got the fourth side, and there's that, you know, union of the three elements into the fourth element kind of theme. 
Absolutely. And also you have right below those three pentacles, you have that sort of five petaled rose with the, again, the, the quartered cross in the middle, this theme of five and four. It's got five petals, five leaves in the yep. downward pointing triangle. So again, and five is, you know, Mars, Gavora. And you have that idea of, you know, whenever we have a five, it's, spirit over matter, wherever we have a four, it's the material world itself, the four elements. Mm -hmm. And we see a sort of like attempt to unify and reconcile those in the thematic imagery of the card, as well as the symbolic imagery. The There's that idea in religion that, you know, um, oh, this, I hate not, I hate having grown up an atheist sometimes, because I'm <laughs> like always grasping for things I barely remember. But there's the idea of uh, expressing your worship through works and faith, right? Those two are contrasted. And in a sense, I think that that's a way, you know, the five and the four are, are, are ways of symbolically expressing that works being, you know, the four and faith being the, the five. There's a spiritual mm -hmm. component, but also just a boots on the ground physical component. Okay. Um, anything else in this card? I feel like there's always more than, than meets the eye. One thing I, I like to think about with this card is the blackness of the interior, which it picks up from both the tower and the devil cards. Mm -hmm. which is the the blackness of Bina, I guess, mm -hmm. that formlessness or the blackness, the darkness of the womb <laughs> yep. from which something must be born or take form. Really interesting. And, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about this before, but the tower also has that structure of something looming over two figures. Right. Which you have in I the thought, devil. I thought of that too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. It's like in the tower card, it's the lightning bolt or the crown, that kind of combination that represents the divine force interjecting itself into the card and then the two falling. And in the devil, you have the devil, of course, and then the two human figures. Um, but there's definitely some sort of negotiation of the relationship between the people in these cards, if you if you look at it in terms of the majors, it's associated majors, and also the posture of the guy standing on the bench, you know, again in this sort of relationship of three figures, recalls the posture of the devil with one hand up and one hand sort of mm. down, sort of pointing down, and the fact that he's up on the bench, the the devil's crouching on his little stone pillar thing. So there's a lot of curious echoes between the imagery here. I think. You know, that reminds me a little bit of when you brought in the Tower of Babel myth before, that idea that we're constantly trying to raise ourselves up in one way or another, but that, you know, the tower looks ahead to <laughs> to our abasement, to our being struck down. Yeah. The myth of the Babel card itself is kind of the building of a cathedral, right? The idea right. The, that they were trying to reach to the heavens. heaven or whatever they were trying to do. And I think the the abasement of the humans in that story was because they had lost their way and they were not so much doing it for the worship of God anymore as for the trying to raise themselves up to that level to, yeah, miss, you know, through their great works. Yeah. Right, so there's that story of avarice and and arrogance that goes with it. Loss, and, loss of the purity of intention. And it's really interesting that the punishment was to fracture the speech of the tongues of men so they could not understand each other anymore, which is, again, that kind of connection with the eight, the mercurial eight, mm -hmm. that there's that connection between the works of Mercury and the works of Saturn on the pillar of form. Oh hmm. right, there, we've got um, we've got Mars, the Sephira Gevora. Yeah, in between, be between Bina and Hode, the three and the eight, we have the five. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So you have Saturn at the top, then then in the three, and then you have Mars in the five, and then you have Mercury in the eight, and it's almost like the the Mars card, the Tower card, acts as you know the 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 weapon to um, yeah yeah. Fracture the mind. Mm. Mm, that's curious. Just in general, interpretively, you know, it's it's a card of being bound to a task and the and the need for collaboration. You know, these themes of silence, work, collaboration, 
are also to be found in the Queen of Discs, who's associated with this card, the final one of her decans. All right, on to Thoth? Yep. Okay. This is another really wild card. Yeah, and, it's pretty uh, cool looking. I like, it's I like really the design cool. of this one. <laughs> this is the frozen and solidified Sea of Binah in the background there, which is such a great idea. The pyramid is situated in the great Sea of Binah in the night of time, but the sea is solidified. Hence the colors yeah, of the I background think, uh, are Snuffin modeled. Yeah, I think called it frozen and Duquette called it crystallized into desert sands or something, which kind of brings in a little mm. bit of the abyss imagery. Yeah, it's interesting how we see the seas of Bina being represented in different ways, you know, throughout the deck. And sometimes it's in a more celestial starry way. And here we have it in a super terrestrial earthy way, which is, yep. of course, to be expected. Yeah, so in the center of all that, we have those three wheels, and uh, they're they're wheels of ten spokes. Oh, I so, thought they were twelve. Hang on, did so, I count wrong? Did Maybe. I count wrong? Let's see. No, it's twelve. You're right, twelve. Okay. I, I meant to say twelve. So they're wheels of twelve spokes, and then there's three of them. So I was thinking of thirty-six as you know, representing kind of the thirty-six decans as you know, another form of yeah. the manifest universe or yeah um 12 12 is the uh, number of the zodiacal signs 36 is the number of the decans they're all images of completion in one way or another mm -hmm. i don't have a theory on this what do you think about her or his choice of this kind of wheel for to represent the discs in this one i don't know because yeah. like you know when you have a a disc or a wheel in in your decks there's always a reason behind the way you portray it. But, you know, what's so funny is that in, in discs, in, in Thoth, every, every one is so different, right? You know, it's... These really, almost look like ship wheels. They do. They look navigational in some way through Which, the Sea you know, of Binah. Which, in the <laughs> Sea of Binah, the, the, the ship symbolism is appropriate, if indeed they are that. Symbols belong to everyone. If we say that they look like that, then they look like that. If people look inside the center of the hub of the wheel, each one has a glyph in it, and those are alchemical glyphs. The top one being mercury, uh, the lower left one being salt, and the lower right one being sulfur. Yeah, and then it's overall into the shape of an upward pointing triangle which brings in fire the fiery energy of mars you know that that spark yeah. that drives the creation it and the fact that does. it's a pyramid is cool too because you know the symbolism of pyramids can have something to do with aspiration ascension growth and also the sort of relationship of three and four um the divine and the material because they are three-sided um, figures on each side, but it's a four-sided, um, four-sided polygon. Solid, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we're looking at it from above, so we see the three, but the four is is hidden. The base of it is hidden from us. Do where else in Thoth do we see the three alchemical symbols? I mean, we kind of see them in the Emperor and Empress. Well, they're they're one implied in the wheel card. Where else? I, feel I, like I there's can't more. think of it at the moment. <clears throat> but it's definitely those most significantly. I wonder if it's in the Lover's card as well. We've got, you know, the Magus as Mercury, the Empress as Salt, and the Emperor as Sulfur. So you have that kind of um, trinity there, too. Absolutely. Each of those is represented in the posture of those glyphs right. in the Thoth deck. He also says that he equates them to two other things, two other systems. So Aleph, Shin, and Mem, the Hebrew letters for uh, elemental air, elemental fire, elemental water, but also the three gunas in the Hindu system, which might be interesting to talk about for a second. We have sattva, uh, rajas, and tamas. Is yep, that sounds right. When we talk about systems of three that are meant to express the entire cosmos, those three gunas are kind of the three ingredients of everything in the same way that in alchemy, the sulfur, salt, and mercury are said to be the three ingredients of everything. Or three stages of everything, yeah. Yeah. Both the ingredients and stages, I guess. Sattva is supposed to be the, the force of harmonious nature or, or the goodness in things. 
Oh, and sattva is associated with mercury. Then tamas associated because with I, salt. Because I associate sattva with like clarity of intelligence, clarity of mind. So I would think yeah. that would be mercury. That makes sense. Tamas is associated with salt and the destructive properties of matter, um, sometimes associated with evil <laughs> as well. Or just sloth and, and kind of like more solid and less motion. Yeah, there's you know? an idea of inertia in, Cri- in Tamas. It's also associated with inertia or chaos, which are terms which are kind of more e- equivalent in this system. And then rajas is the sulfuric or passionate nature, which is sort of neutral in value. It's the thing that allows there to be some kind of motion, some kind of creation between these two forces, opposed forces of sattva and tamas, as I understand mm-hmm. it in the last 24 hours of Wikipedia. <laughs> 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 you know, what's really funny, I was thinking about that last night, and I went down sort of a, a little gamer wormhole, the idea, you know, in D&D, there's the idea of each character existing also on a spectrum of three. There's, you know, good, evil, neutral, uh, there's mm-hmm. lawful, neutral, chaotic, you know, yep. so, you know, and the free agent is known as the chaotic neutral. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I was kind of thinking of that spectrum, those sort of interlocking spectrums of three as being equivalent to sattva, tamas, rajas. Well, that works. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I took one of those. Uh, I took a D and D personality test, <laughs> and I thought I was going to come out chaotic neutral, but I came out good neutral, which was a little bit of a disappointment. <laughs> ah. <laughs> oh gosh! So anyway, there's also the concepts which you probably know more about than I do. I remember we talked about it way back in probably the wheel card of prakriti, the material or na- natural, versus yep. purusha, the spirit. And those are implied as well. Yeah. So we have forces of preservation, destruction, creation hinted at in this card. It's also really yeah, just makes yeah. a lot of sense for yeah. Mars Saturn, you know? Yeah, it sure does. I like what um, Liber Theta had to say about Mars Saturn combination. It said it's will converted by effort into results. Yeah. That almost sounds like a, a definition of of work, you know, the physical yeah. concept of work. Yeah, that's cool. Yep. So color-wise, it's kind of interesting, too. Yeah, very kind of opposite on the spectrum colors. You know, all the tower mm-hmm. colors are all reds. Um, scarlet red, red red, Venetian red, and red red, either azure or emerald. I guess it's your choice. And then the Capricorn colors are all dark, you know, black, indigo, indigo, blue-black, cold, very dark gray. Yeah, I like how she tried to sort of give the sides of the pyramid a reddish tint, you know, to, mm-hmm. to show that they were martial. It's That color is actually the, the, the color of um, Bina Vasea is gray flecked pink. And I think that's why that pyramid ah. has that kind of grayish pink coloring to it. That's really cool. It's almost like you can imagine, you know, the light reflecting off of the wheels yeah i like what snuffin said too that the wheels being the color of mars look like they're melting the ice of the frozen sea oh yeah which i thought was kind of (laughs) interesting through sheer force of will (laughs) right yeah and i think the wheels also i don't know they seem to bring in the idea of time to me you know, in mm-hmm. that Saturnian the wheels of time, way. and also the idea mm-hmm. of motion, of progression and growth, that you have to have them in order for things to to be created. Mm. Mm. And the idea of the sea as being frozen seems appropriate too, just because you know this time of year, at least here in the northern hemisphere, you know it's the winter solstice and it's cold, and um, Capricorn is considered a cold sign. That seems to fit in also with the idea of the wheels as thawing the frozen ice, because it is the beginning of the increase of the light, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that we see in these two, three and four of discs cards for us up here. anyway. Yeah, for us. It's a pretty straightforward card image wise. The only other thing to note, I guess, is the placement of the the Mars and Capricorn symbols. They're very balanced. You know, they're not off centered in any way. Just probably because it's above the, you know, it's in the supernal triangle. Yeah, 
Yeah, if I'm sort of comparing the Three of Discs card to the Super Phallic Devil card and <laughs> Super Phallic Cradualistic <laughs> Devil card. And it's interesting how, you know, what's a very representational set of genitalia and the devil kind of becomes this abstract, you know, one above two in the Three of Discs card. Mm, and, yeah. And, I can uh, see that. and how the sort of fieriness of the Tower card just kind of gets driven into the wheels of the of the discs card. And the pyramid itself, do you notice how it's translucent? Yeah, I was wondering about that. What do you think about that? I was just noticing it and going, I wonder. You know, I guess it's sort of like it could be an like icy crystalline crystal, structure. A yeah. crystalline thing rather than a, you know, completely solid thing. Maybe the fact that it's up, still above the abyss and we're not yet into the four. Because I kind of look at the... The three is starting to build the walls of the vault that's in the four, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's still construction. There's still motion. It's not solidified. Like in the four, we're going to see that the disks have become like square things. Yeah, <laughs> They're not right. even turning it's a, it's anymore. A fortress. In the four, it's the, the fortress. And here, it's it's still transparent, I guess. It's not. Yeah. It's, well, it's starting to get into 3D reality. Still yeah. transparent. It makes me think of the way that, you know, salt water is simply water in which crystals are dissolved and that crystals mm. can emerge from it. Of course, they don't look like that. I think uh, crystal, salt crystals are probably they're a cubic square. structure. Yeah, they're, they're, they're more diamond. Square. Diamond crystal, iodized salt. I think it makes sense that in the three we see a, a, a crystal reference mm-hmm. in that way. Yep. All right, shall we talk about the Tabula Mundi card? Sure. So... um where to start? It's kind of saying similar things to the other two cards, just in a different way. We do have the three alchemical symbols as seen in the Thoth card, but here the three discs are on that DNA symbol, which is a pulled from the devil card as being part of the building blocks of life, in a sense, DNA. Yeah, Lord and, of the Gates of Matter, for sure. You know, life coming through, incarnation coming through and the the DNA itself it it almost looks like a ladder you know it's that yeah and a ladder is another thing like a pyramid or an upward pointing triangle that suggests aspiration climbing of capricorn and then the the lightning flash and the bricks are kind of bringing in the tower so the the lightning is an obvious tower thing and the lightning bolts are kind of activating they're hitting the the central disc, the salt disc. So they're kind of like uh, fertilizing the egg. You know, the the salt is kind of like the matter, and the um, mm-hmm. the lightning is kind of like the spark or fertilization that makes it start its growth. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know what's so great about this is that in DNA, the latter is formed by, you know, opposing base pairs on either side. And the the rungs of the ladder are the bonds between them. And it's almost like your lightning flashes, you know, forcing those bonds to be created so that you can climb the ladder. It's like what animates life or something. Mm -hmm. And I like that the salt one's right in the middle, so you can see that sort of axis across it. It's a sideways on button. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. And then, you know, the whole Trinity's, you know, Reality. I mean, it could also be looked at as not just the the three elements of the three gunas, but also the body, soul, mind connection. Then we've got the bricks in the in the corner building up, and that's another kind of the tower. You know, except wet instead of being torn down, it's it's being built up. It speaks of the trowel as being the tool of the the master mason, and so there's like the three stages: ace, two, three. Here we're in the three. The first stage, the apprentice, you know, mixes up the raw materials. And the second stage, the um, next higher up there, the fellow craft person uses the plumb in the square to make sure everything's going to (laughs) be right. And then it's the master mason who uses the trowel and cements it in permanently. Yeah. So at that point, it's something's been done. It's starting to take form. It's actually being built. And that that's what we kind of have here in the three. And it's, again, really interesting that attention to detail uh, and the connection with the eight of discs, you know, the idea that it's the apprentice who, you know, starts the process of 
putting things together brick by brick. And, you know, and I think that that's, there's something really fundamental about the connection between, you know, the 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 ladder of the gates of matter being put together rung by rung and the building of the wall brick by brick. There's a a perception in this card generally, I think among all cards in tarot, this one particularly, that things can be broken down into their component steps. You know, they can yes. be achieved bit by bit. And that's a very human way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. We can look at anything in deconstruct it into its parts and the parts get smaller and smaller and smaller until we can't go any further. Yeah. Get down to the atomic level or. Yeah. The devil and the tower are kind of like, they kind of represent that ability to break down matter into its tiniest components and then build it back up. Yeah. Into its building blocks. Yep. If you, if you put the three of discs from your deck between the devil and the tower, you see really strong color connections to both. The main color of the card there, the um, the gray flecked pink. I don't know if you can tell really, but those those three discs are gray flecked pink, and oh, so yeah. is the mortar and the bricks are to some degree too. That kind of pinkish and gray color. So, so that's kind of you a- going with the tiny brush and the pink paint. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. <laughs> cool. And then it's got you know the black and the blues of the devil. Yeah, that's cool. I like this card in general in all three versions, Rider Waite, Thoth, and my own. I mean, I just, I kind of like this card for some Mm -hmm. reason. There's just something that's uh, generally helpful about it. Yeah, it's never, it's never really a bad thing to see it unless you're like, oh, yeah, work. Yeah, I gotta. (laughs) (laughs) It depends how you feel about employment, I guess. I guess so. I mean, we're both in kind of a lucky situation where we kind of love our work. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's, it doesn't really feel like work. You know, you feel more the sort of force of Mars driving you. Yeah. To when accomplish you have it. the martial passion for yeah. your work, you can endure. <laughs> exactly. The chains don't feel like chains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mars will force you and me to abuse the body to get the thing done. And I feel yes, like that's indeed. sort of implied here, too. Do you get it much? Yeah, I get it fairly often, I would say. How does it show up for you? Well, like I said, sometimes it shows up as just, okay, well, I have to work at something. That idea of application of your skills and discipline and sticking with something to grow it. That's mm-hmm. usually how it shows up. Yeah, I have that, too. I, I don't get it an absolute ton, but... Whenever I do, it's it's really literally just get to work. Just yeah, uh, exactly. do the thing. <laughs> Nose to the grindstone. <laughs> <laughs> literally. Even on vacation, I got it this summer. And it was sort of the, our last day on the beach. And I wanted a bunch of beach stones for my altar. So the three of us, Randy and me and Zoe, we were, we spent, you know, a chunk of time just picking up beach stones. And that just seemed to me like really funny um, manifestation of three of Earth. Yeah, stones and masonry. And yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I've gotten it a lot for just collaborating with different people. So, you know, I get it when Mm -hmm. I've got a you know, a job I've promised to give somebody and or for packing up orders for people from Mm -hmm. Etsy. I get it a lot for that. It's just a generally constructive thing. But one thing that I kind of forgot to mention in the when we were talking about numbers, is that we talked a while back about the relationship of three and nine. um, And the idea that the nine reaps the fruit of the three. So oh, you see that here for sure. Oh, yeah. So you do the, you know, you you do three times three, the work times three, and you reap gain at the yes. end of it, nine of discs. Yep. You so put in the effort and do the work, and that's hopefully the result. Hopefully the result, exactly. Right. Unless you're, you know, seeking the impossible as, you know, we talked about with the right. pick-a-trick stuff. <laughs> All right. Um... Shall we try and summarize it? Oh, yeah. Okie dokie. So, okay. So to summarize, we have talked about uh, the three of pentacles or discs as the lord of work or material works. Um, We've talked a little bit about the difference between those and the definition of work. We talked a lot about the influence of Mars in the uh, middle decan of Capricorn. Yep, the devil in the tower. Mars and Saturn and how Mars is exalted in this decan. So he tends to be more constructive, literally. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, we talked about um, blueprints and masons and um, tools of the Masonic trade. We talked about the period of the beginning of the new year when people kind of put themselves back to work and make resolutions and routines. We talked about uh, the story of Enki, who created the first rather ape-like humans from uh, clay and blood in order to create workers. We talked about Gilgamesh and his uh, refusal of Inanna or Ishtar and his befriendment of the wild man Enkidu, who took his punishment. And um, then Gilgamesh's quest for immortality, um, basically seeking the impossible. Right. We talked about the seeking the impossible in the Picatrix and Agrippa, as well as the armored uh, worker in the Yavana Jataka. Uh, we talked about the doubly Saturnian nature of this card, because it is a three and because it is in the sign of Capricorn. We talked about pyramids as uh, symbols of aspiration, growth, and ascension, seeking the apex, as well as the kind of combination between the symbols of three and four that it expresses. Yeah, we had a lot of um, interesting number connections going on in here. We had the three and the four. Uh, and the five of And the Mars. five, right. And then we had the pillar of form, the three, the five, and the eight. We talked a lot about the relationship of the three and the eight through Masonic symbolism. And at the end there, we talked a little bit about uh, the relationship of the three and the nine, the nine reaping the fruits of the three. Um, and we talked about the gunas oh, and yes. the um, elements. Yes, sattva and tamas and rajas and aleph and shin and mem and fire and water and air and lawful and chaotic and <laughs> and neutral. <laughs> We talked about purity of ambition and lack thereof as the kind of shadow side or ego side of the devil. We talked about Bina consciousness, um, the idea that uh, it's Bina that allows us to, to describe and articulate the physical world. Uh, and the idea of restraint is the root of justice and freedom is the root of mercy. Oh, and we talked about silence, the virtue of Bina versus avarice, the vice of Bina. The gates of matter and the hosts of the mighty passing through them. Ah, that's so great. <laughs> oh, and the giver of permits. The giver of permits. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. We talked about um, bindings, bargains, contracts, including the Faustian bargain. All right. I think that's all I've got. You got anything yeah, else? Yeah, I think so, too. All right. Well, uh and thank you for fulfilling your end of the bargain by through the extent of this episode, The Lord of Work. We hope it wasn't too much work for you to stay with us. And we will be back next time with The Lord of Power, The Four of Pentacles or Discs. See you then. <laughs>